0: Hey folks, sorry for the lateness of the episode. So Max unfortunately came down with COVID and is still getting over it. So wishing her well. And uh, I also started teaching. So it kind of made sense to push our schedule back a week. Um, So our next episode will be out two weeks from now. And we have a special guest I will wait for that episode to reveal what the guest is because I don't say in this episode. But I also want to say, and you already know this if you listened to our previous episode, that our sponsor is Immatone. And the tagline is Mind to Melody. Basically, it's a way for you to control any instrument with your voice. It's a really quick, easy, intuitive way to kind of get into making music, especially if you're not you know super skilled at playing piano and doing lots of complicated technical stuff it's a pretty it has a pretty nice simple understandable interface there's a lot of different features so not only is it accessible but it's it's also something that you could use if you're a more hardcore user and just as a fun tool to mess around with so i know we have some fledgling music producers or just music producers in general who listen to this podcast probably so it's definitely worth checking out um if you go to imitone.com kitchfork now again that's spelled k-i-t S-C-H-F-O-R-K I'll have a link to it in the description then you can get five dollars off on the standard edition and ten dollars off on the studio edition but anyway on with the show Kitchfork. This is a podcast about the indie music of the 2000s and growing up as a child on the internet and also the kitschy, hipster, <laughs> trash culture of the 2000s as well. I am your co-host, Liz Ryerson. And I am your other co-host, Max Cohen. And today we're going back into the <laughs> the barrel of, of indie rock uh, and we're going to talk about a band that I feel (laughs) the most uh, meh about possible. Uh, We're going to talk about Spoon and their 2001 album, Girls Can Tell.
1: Yeah, fuck you. We're not doing
0: Kill the Moonlight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Kill the Moonlight was the only album that I was actually familiar of them with. But it's fine. It didn't take me very long to be familiar with this album because... If you know one
1: Spoon album, you know them all. (laughs)
0: Yeah, like all their albums are relatively short. They all have similar things going on. I think Kill the Moonlight has a little bit more interesting production, but other than that. I mean, and they came out very close together. So, yeah, Uh, just a little bit of background of Spoon. So, spoiler alert, we're probably, like the uh, 12 Rods episode, we're going to probably, I don't know, stop talking about them for... We're only going to talk about them for about 50 minutes or something like that, a little under an hour. Uh, Partly because we just don't have a lot to say. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. Um, What's your background with Spoon? Uh,
1: Yeah, you know... um... I first heard Spoon in my friend's sister's car. She put on, that's the way we get by, and I hated it, and I never uh, thought about Spoon yes. again.
0: The, the sound of advertisements. Yeah. Oh, and That I was did,
1: in so many ads. It was. And so I didn't think about them again until uh, Spoon was, and this is actually a good time to, to uh, talk about what was, for me, a pillar of listening to music in this era, which was emusic.com. Oh, uh, e-music, which was, so this was like, uh, the post Napster era of what is, how do we monetize online music? Um, post Napster, Mm -hmm. pre Spotify or Pandora or whatever. Um, obviously iTunes had the thing where you would buy, you know, spend a dollar a song or $10 an album. E-music was a monthly subscription where you'd pay like 10 bucks a month and you would get 50 tracks you could download. Oh, Um, from like whatever mix match you want, 50 tracks, uh, the, you know, with the caveat that their catalog was almost entirely like indie labels. Oh, you mentioned this on the shins episode, I think, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think the shins were on it. Um, Mm. it was one of those, it was really cool. Like it's a great deal. Um, unless you want to listen to like a guided by voices album, in which case, one album would take up your entire month, but Oops. if you right, but if you're into somebody like Spoon, where an album is like nine tracks, um, or Boris, where absolute e- absolute ego is like one track, it was great. <laughs> um, and I think yeah, it was. Um, there was only like, I don't know why, but I remember there was only really like two Spoon albums up on there, and it was Girls Can Tell and series of sneaks. Um, and I'm trying to remember what got me to listen to them again. I think this was maybe around the time Gimme Fiction came out. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I like I turn my camera on. I think it's got a really good production um, on it. So I was like, OK, let's check this band out. And somebody. Oh,
0: and I remember. And somebody told me that series of sneaks sounded like wire. Uh, oh yeah i've seen that comparison also gimme fiction came out in 2005 it looks like yes so that's it was it would have been yeah 2004 or 5 um i
1: love i love wire so i was like fuck me too i'll I'll, I'll, yeah I'll, i'll check it out and there's a point to that series of sneaks does sound a lot have a similar vibe of pink flag of being these sort of micro songs um with like a few different uh angular takes on what punk music means i would say that's my favorite spoon album but it's not really the one it's it doesn't really matter for pitchfork because it it didn't get big in fact it was the source of a lot of like label issues
0: yeah so the interesting thing about spoon is i mean spoon overlaps so much with we talked about the shins we talked about 12 rods it's a similar story to like both of those if you kind (laughs) of combine the two stories right Because like 12 Rods, um, after their first album, I think it's called Telefono. Yes. um, And that album definitely, from what I've heard, definitely sounds a bit like the Pixies. He's like trying to do a Pixies thing, but he's not quite getting there. (laughs) It's a little Pixies. It's a little pavement. It's it's very much like
1: I am my influences. I am not trying to take my influences and do something more with them.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know, it's a know. very Brit young da- sounding album to me. Yeah, and and Britt Daniel has never taken off the sunglasses. Uh he's the type of guy who wears sunglasses indoors. Uh but yeah, Spoon is a band from Austin, Texas. Um Home state. And let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh the main guy is is as I mentioned Britt Daniel. Um he met the other members of Spoon at uh University of Texas at Austin, of course where uh where a lot of things have happened uh like you know, i <laughs> like a I shooting <laughs> it, yeah like the shooting and i associate it with the movie slacker yes I, I do too my my favorite movie um, really yeah wow <laughs> i know Wow, we have to we have to do a, a cinema club where we talk about slacker then i, would I haven't it. seen it in a long time
1: i'm always down uh i i also just i like boring movies um but yeah, enough. Yeah, and so like, um, they had like some indie hype going into it as like an Austin band would, um, but there was a lot of label drama. I'm trying to remember who that initial label was. But so I, it seems it, like it was Matador of, Records. Series of Sneaks essentially got them dropped.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so they were. Oh no! It, on it was Matador. it was elect
1: It was Electra.
0: Yeah. It was Electra. So they were initially on Matador. And this was around the time, like, Gay by 12 Rods came out in uh, 1996, so we're still in the midst of, like, you know, major labels just kind of trying to snap up, like, alternative rock bands. Right. Because it's still, like, a commercial force. So, similar happened with Spoon, and they released a series of sneaks in 1998. Um, And it was not successful at all, um, from what I understand.
1: No, um, and it, it it caused a lot of uh, drama with the higher-ups at Electra, which were, of course, uh, immortalized um, in the Agony of Lafitte uh, EP, uh, which was a, a takeoff on uh, Elektra A&R man, Ron Lafitte. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, it
0: says it says here on the Wikipedia, it says, four months after the release of Sneak Spoon's Electra A&R man, Ron, Ron Lafitte quit his job and... That week, the band was dropped from the label. Um, so, yep, yeah,
1: there you go. So, what what it really does is it sets up. Girls can tell as sort of like a, like, initially the boys making good. Um, it took them like three years to come out with it. Um, you know, they finally got onto what, what was the label they ended up with. Um, uh, merge, of course. Merge, merge, of course. It was a merge. Oh. So like. Spoon kind of uh, a bit like Wilco managed to survive a lot of like the, the indie crash in a way that a lot of people didn't. Um, and Mm -hmm. girls can tell was sort of like that moment they got on merge and you know, it didn't sell as much as like, uh, kill the moonlight, but it sold significantly more than series of sneaks. And I think a lot of people thought of it as like, it's a much cleaner album. It's a much shorter album. Um, and so like, it, it was it was the one that got like, in my memory, a lot of critical acclaim. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I think we're we're in a similar realm of. I mean, this came out the same year as "O Inverted World" by the Shins. Right. And you can really, it's it's a similar kind of you know indie sensation of like, I mean, Spoon was actually on a major label, um, you know, and that didn't work out. But and and uh, the Shins were just making stuff that wasn't like. Super widely released, but it was like, like artists doing kind of trying to do like the 90s alternative rock boom and kind of missing that whole wave uh, and then ending up getting kind of absorbed into the next w- wave of indie in the early 2000s because and and maybe part of that is like, I don't know, there's just a, a an interest in a certain kind of like retro revival aesthetic, especially of the like like 60s mod aesthetic was like very big in the early 2000s and in particular like hipster enclaves Mm -hmm. um and, of course, like, uh, Interpol and the Strokes very much have this aesthetic. Uh, mod stuff, it stands for mod, modern. It's, like, modern jazz. It was originally, like, modern jazz fans in, in the UK. But most people associate it with, like, mid-60s rock, like, The Who and, uh, I don't know, The Creation. some The Kinks, like, some of those, like, like the mid-60s period before the whole, like, flower power thing took over. Yeah. Um, so it's like a it's always been the kind of like a hipster mainstay and I guess it had never really gotten big in certain parts of America. So there yeah. was a huge revival of it in the early 2000s for whatever reason. Um yeah, the, yeah. the
1: garage revival, even though it wasn't really garage. Um Yeah, uh so it, so Girls Can Tell is not like the album generally people would associate with it's not the album people would expect to cover. That "Kill the Moonlight" is the one that they're doing a reunion, a tour on right now. Their nostalgia tour, like mm-hmm. "Kill the Moonlight," is I think they're they're considered their big one. But I, I was the one who said we should do "Girls Can Tell" instead. I like "Girls Can Tell" better than "Kill the Moonlight," but I also just think it's more interesting to talk about. Like, not necessarily because the album is more diverse because it's not, but I think it as an object is a little weirder than "Kill the Moonlight." Um, cause it has this, there's always been this like strain of like minimalist, um, almost like not funk, but maybe like a little bit of like minimalist, like rhythmic, uh, R and B going on in spoon sound. That's really to the fore here. Uh, he mentions like, uh. Elvis Costello's Get Happy is a big inspiration which is in itself (laughs) and and just just about every band from the mid 60s yes absolutely but but Get Happy (sighs) is an interesting thing to point out because that was Costello's like big pop uh R&B
0: album okay um Yeah, I I said, ah, because it's just like, I I don't know, I OD'd on that kind of music when I was younger, and I could just hear the influence so much to the point where I'm like, why wouldn't I just listen to the Kinks instead of this? Yeah, actually, because we just kind of bowled over this. What was your exposure to Spoon? How did
1: this all start with you?
0: Um, not much. I mean, people talked about them on music forums. And uh, I think Kill the Moonlight just got a bunch of good, uh, really glowing reviews from Pitchfork. It was like one of their top albums of 2002. So I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And I remember thinking, uh, this sounds like the Rolling Stones, because like the first song, Small Stakes, it just it's so 60s. Mm -hmm. And and the way that we get by, I'm sure I had already heard it in an ad. So I already wasn't like, didn't have a super gen- generous opinion. And, but I, I thought it was okay. Um, and I thought like, well, maybe I should try to get into more. Of their work. So I never really got into it. Although when i had we uh when i was in college we had a uh, a class where it was like it was like i was trying to get into like the music technology program mm-hmm. and so they had a class for like non-majors and one of the assignments was like they gave us a sam a sampler cd from wired which had a bunch of song a bunch of songs by a bunch of artists that they like gave you permission to sample um, and we were supposed to make an assignment out of that, so my piece that I made was like heavily based on around a, a spoon song. The song is called Revenge, uh, which I guess was from an EP from 1998, so it was like that period around series of sneaks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 30 gallon tank, oh, yeah, 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 uh, but yeah, the. <laughs> then the piece i named it revenge against bad music <laughs> okay um cuz i i didn't like some of the other music out there but yeah i didn't really like you know it it just that they never really like stuck with me and yeah i i think i kind of wanted to do a spoon episode just because they felt like emblematic of uh, a <laughs> run of the mill indie rock band for me that i just never really got into um uh, yeah. And I kept thinking, well, maybe there's more to this and, and then uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever uh found that uh there was more to to it for me. Although I will say like um Kill the Moonlight was the one that I was more familiar with and originally suggested. But I don't have a strong enough opinion about Spoon, so you know, I you know, I <laughs> we changed it to this. So, so I but, bullied her um, into it, yeah. No, it's fine. It's it's fine, though. But I think they do kind of go together because it came out only a year later. Um, and the one thing I will say about that album is the production is, is better. It's more interesting. Um, and maybe it carries some of the songs a little more. But I get that, like, uh, Girls Can Tell is a little bit more, like, songwriter album and a little bit less, like, hashtag aesthetic yeah <laughs> um right and yeah. and also
1: like i i did not od on the same things like I, I have no exposure to mod culture really um which might be another like difference between us but spoon's funny because spoon has sort of taken on uh a yola tango role in indie music where they just consistently release 7.8 out of 10 albums and have been doing so for the last couple of decades um we're like <sighs> if you like spoon you can dependably get a good spoon record out you can always expect a good spoon record to come out it won't sound all that different from the last one um but maybe that's usually not what you're looking for in fact uh, we will talk about it later. <laughs> i'm not looking to be challenged right? i'm not looking to <laughs> I, you know i'm not gonna hate but it is like um it's M O
0: R music for fucking hipster, you know, rock nerds. It is a bit.
1: It, well, it's funny because they're they're going on this uh, nostalgia tour with Interpol, um, and I, you know, what was it? The guy, the editor for Stereo Gum, was like calling it out as a very weird pairing, um, but they're kind of perfect for each other because they're both bands
0: who, whose whole career is just we're never gonna make a different album. Um, yeah well he was saying he was saying that it's like um oh it sucks that they're opening for interpol a band that only has 1.5 good albums uh when spoon consistently has great albums and and all i'll say to that is uh turn on the bright lights is better than any other any spoon album I, I i would i would agree with that but also of course i would <laughs> yeah i mean i don't even like turn on the bright lights like you and i still think that uh because yeah. it's more distinctive and interesting to me Um,
1: but, but they're both like, you know, every Interpol album is, is the Interpol album, you know, they, they, they haven't changed their sound. Spoon hasn't really either. Uh, And if you're into it, I would never take that away from you. I do think it gets less interesting as it goes along, (laughs) you know, as anything repeated uh, over and over again. yeah.
0: maybe maybe it's just also I I was on music forums and there was like a lot of it were like offshoots of like guided by voices forums and there was a certain type of indie rock guy who would be like be like oh
2: fuck bright
0: eyes fuck this shit you know or like fuck um, fuck this trendy electronic music but then it's like oh yeah I love spoon and the hold steady and the national and it's just like uh, it's like that meme I I made a little version of that meme with uh, the guy who says um you know usually it's like a girl talking to this dude about astrology mm-hmm. and he's like fuck i fuck off i don't believe in that made-up nonsense and then he says so true about something else well, about but, nfts yeah, yeah yeah but this is this is like yeah yeah it's the, it's, it's the it, so true is spoon and hold steady it's like it's it's, I don't know, it's ridiculous, like, it's music designed for these dudes. I mean, this is where I un- I understand where Poptimism came from, because it's, like, dudes, like, going crazy about this, like, how authentic these artists are, and, like, how they're, you know, and this is music that's appearing in fucking ads all the time, and it's, like, part of the reason I had a negative reaction to some aspects of this album was it similar to the Liz Phair album, but in a different way. I associate it with fucking TV advertisements.
1: Yeah. Well, like that sound. It It's, it felt like a sort of reactionary conservatism to me. This rock and roll is back kind of idea. Yeah. And, which was very explicit in somebody like the hold steady who were like, you know, fuck irony and smart shit. We're, we're fucking rock and roll. We hate indie rock. Um, you know that was like their whole shtick and it was a very weird kind of boring attempt at counterculture to me
0: i mean yeah i hated it too because even when i was like 13 or 14 at the time i was listening to radiohead or olivia tremor control or whatever and i you know i liked stuff with weird sonic experimentation and all that and suddenly it's like, oh, I have to care about The Strokes and, you know, all, all these other bands. And I just never could care to that extent because it's like, I heard Kid A, you know, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never go back. But it's also that... It's not like
1: people were very, very excited about albums that were fundamentally not exciting. Like, I I think I think the first couple of Strokes albums are good and enjoyable to listen to, but they're not... They are just like good songs on an album of good songs. You yeah, know, they're fine. They're, fi- they're, not, I don't they're really... not a revolution in music. Yes. But they were treated and, as such in a way that felt absolutely. like I was getting gaslit.
0: <laughs> well, and it just felt like it coincided with this weird conservative turn, like right around, you know, when Bush was elected, 9 happened and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I know that none of these were like politically conservatively aligned necessarily, but... It felt like those two things were somehow correlated for me. I remember as a teen, because uh, I just didn't really understand it. Um, yeah. But yeah, just uh, just a quick quote from, uh, from Brit Daniel uh, about this album when it turned 20. Uh, he said, Girls Can Tell was the Hail Mary pass that absolutely no one thought was going to find a receiver. It was the record where the colors changed, trains collided, and suddenly we sounded a lot more like us than we'd ever sounded before. At the time it felt like a last chance and it also felt like a last grasp of youth, which seems a little funny now considering how shaped it was by oldies radio, The Supreme, The Kinks, and one thing I didn't know is that he was dating Eleanor Friedberger yeah. from The Fiery Furnaces, a band that I like way more
1: than Spoon. Oh yeah, they're way better. Although this would have been like, what, Gallowsbird
0: Spark but- era, right? I, I think it was before they were even formed. Well, there you um, go. <laughs> but yeah, the idea was the idea behind Girls Can Tell, and this is kind of the trick that Spoon has gone with for their whole career since then, uh, was to take stock of the band's MO from inception in t- until that point, to carefully consider all the things we'd been trying to do and the way that we'd be doing them, and then set out to specifically avoid all that, to instead come up with some new songs that were actually about where I was at and how I was feeling. Songs that knew no cool rules. I don't know what he's talking about, because the whole point of Spoon is like trying to look cool in a very... No, but I, I, I,
1: I've, I've had the uh, opportunity to meet Brett a, a couple of times, and he does just talk like this
0: okay um, fair enough so but I, I, I think it's, i think it's i think it's just an affectation rather than a point yeah well you know a, a lot of musicians have affectation sure. Bjork certainly does absolutely so. yeah i won't hold that against him but um i think that the the main point is that like they strip down their sound like you know that there are definitely like bar band elements, uh, or you know like sludgy, messy '90s built to spilly '90s indie rock elements to some of their earlier music for sure. Um, yeah, and then, but the the way that this sounds like the early 2000s when you hear it is it has that same stripped away thing that like the Strokes had or you know some other bands of the period. So it really. And I I think Spoon is certainly one of the bands that define that sound. Even though they're not from New York, uh apparently uh Brit Daniel moved from Austin to New York. So was living in New York at the time, although I think the album was recorded in in Austin. Which is weird, yeah, I this... always think
1: of the album as like a Chicago album. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is funny. There is
1: a Chicago song on it. Well, there's two, well there's what I thought were two because there's another song called Me and the Bean but oh. that was written by an Austin band as well. So who fucking knows?
0: Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, I don't know. Like like with O Inverted World, uh, I think because this album was kind of just hitting the zeitgeist. And I, I, I want to say like, you said you said that uh, Kill the Moonlight is the more known and successful album but this one is successful enough for fucking Stereo Gum to write another Turns 20 article Perfect. about it. The same guy who's written like the last several that I've mentioned Tom Bryhan, also wrote this one and his basically description he's like it just felt cool like it just felt cool to listen to spoon like when we were listening to everyone's just like oh yeah it's cool we didn't really talk about it much at the time but we were all just like oh yeah it's cool music it's cool uh, music. i uh, i just hate that fucking period i hate that fucking period of like mod post-punk revival of the early <laughs> 2000s i'm sorry it's okay listen
1: nobody could convict you for it Um, I think, I think it's interesting to talk about like them stripping down their sound because they've always been, although I agree, they used to be messier about it. They've always been a fairly minimalist band. They're a trio. Um, so it's just like, uh, guitar, bass and drums. Um, and there's always a lot of like space in their songs. I think, especially on this album, um, like a lot of like staccato elements that, dance around each other to create spaces and, and bits of quiet in between. Um, which sort of felt like a a spoon trademark, even as they occasionally got more Baroque.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was the number one thing that I noticed when I heard Kill the Moonlight is how like spare everything was. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice... I don't know. This is going to sound mean again, because like I said, I'm not... <laughs> I mean, spoiler, like, I like some of the songs in this album, but I'm not, like, that huge of a fan overall. Um, I just think it gets old. I think it's a trick that gets old for me. Oh, (laughs) Like, that whole, yeah, sound. I can start with uh, reading the review now, if you'd like, from Pitchfork. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. Okay, so this review is from... um, uh... Nick Mirov, and again, uh, Pitchfork removed the author credits from most of their old reviews, which, again, I, I have to point out every time it's a disgrace for them to do that. It is.
1: Uh, Nick Mirov, as we said, was also the one who wrote the uh, series of sneaks
0: um, review. Yeah. Um, and they gave Girls Can Tell an eight. Um, they ended up giving uh, Kill the Moonlight and even. Uh, bigger, (laughs) even higher score, but uh, Girls Can Tell was also on their list of top 200 albums of the 2000s. So, um, like I said, I think, you know, when, when I, when you mentioned doing this album, I think the thing is with those two albums is they, do kind of go together so like when I was listening to this album and I was like well, I don't know if I like this album as much as the 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 next one and then I listened to that one again and I was like well, actually I like them about the same <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah I mean this is this is sort of when the spoon groove uh was was uh codified it, it, it's it's another reason why series of sneaks sort of stands out although even then it's not like that album is extremely different <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, um, anyways, but yeah, I can I can start with the review now. This is from when the album came out in February of two thousand one. Um, so, over the past week, I've scrapped several quasi-amusing, only tangentially related to the topic at hand, anecdotes that would have been that would have served as some sort of introduction to this review. Among them, a tedious explanation about how. What I'm learning in grad school about connectionism and neural networking somehow applies to Spoon's (laughs) songwriting methodology. Hint, it really doesn't. Okay, then why did you mention it? Uh, (laughs) A comparison of Spoon to the ugly metallic monstrosities that pass for public sculpture these days, speaking of the bean, Um, Mm -hmm. and a tired parody of VH1's Behind the Music. Spoon, they had it all, and then it all came crashing down, but now they're back, etc. I ran out of clever metaphors to describe Spoon's music a while ago. In fact, I don't think I ever really captured in writing what it is about Spoon that I like so much. Their music just seems to possess this attitude that's both fresh and rooted in the origins of rock and roll. An anger that's at once stylish and direct. A compassionate ache that's oblique as it is palpable. And Girls Can Tell wraps all that is great about Spoon up in a shiny new package. Um, <laughs> it's I, it's fe- <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? No, I'm just
1: saying it, that's that's, you know, you can say the same thing only so many times.
0: Yeah, I. you can tell that I'm being sarcastic whenever I read things in that tone. Right, right, right. It's been nearly three years since Spoon's last album. A series of sneaks rocked heads and broke hearts. And even though the band was without a label for most of the time, they forged ahead with writing and recording of Girls Can Tell anyway. That's an important factoid that's good to know. Mm-hmm. they had more than enough time to get the album sounding just right and it definitely shows in the finished product but an open-ended recording schedule has its advantages and disadvantages girls can tell is more mature and accomplished but at the expense of the spark of spontaneity fans of spoons mannered sloppiness will most likely be taken aback at their new sound one which is significantly spookier and cleaner sounding spookier I, don't know. I I can kind of see more it. Convention,
1: you see it? When we get into it, I think there's some very noirish vibes. Okay. Uh that I could see being like especially in some of the Mellotron stuff that I could see
0: being taken as spooky. Okay. Uh, With more conventionally structured songs. Um, it may be worth noting that John Crosland, who produced most of Spoon's output to date and may be responsible for the more off-kilter ideas on previous albums, is barely present on this album. When a series of sneaks was a giddy grab bag of intentional loose ends, Girls Can Tell ties those loose ends up perhaps a bit too neatly. The irony, of course, is that the album sounds much more like a major label release than sneaks. Um... This sounds negative, but then he gets into being... We'll read a little bit more, and then we can stop. But, mm-hmm. but the maturing of Spoon should by be no means uh, a point of contention. No longer do they sound like the Pixies, Gang of Four, or Wire. Instead, they sound like Spoon now. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and initially, Girls Can Tell sort of feels like a recap of Spoon's brightest spots within their oeuvre, uh, recast in a new light. Uh, then it talks about the songs. We can get into... To talking about the yeah, songs in a let's second. T- yeah, okay, but we can stop there. Um, yeah, g- it's generally positive. I think. I think what's interesting. I I can understand why Pitchfork uh, gave "Kill the Moonlight" such a positive score after this because it is slightly more loose and spontaneous sounding. <laughs> Uh, than this than this one is. This is more of like a song writing record, it, although like you said it, I still think they sound similar.
1: They're similar, but when they're so similar, you have to point out the little differences. And I would agree that this is a very it's a much more mannered and precise album. Uh, I think it's it's a colder album as well, which is probably why it appeals to me. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't have the uh, the raucous energy of the lads playing (laughs) together.
0: Yeah. It's much more, I I mean, it's the sound that I would associate with spoon, um, because I had only heard their later stuff. It just, that kind of like mid tempo, uh, put it on in the background music. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's funny. Um, girls
1: can tell for me was, I hope that train doesn't get picked up. Uh, girls can tell for it's fine girls can tell for me was like really good driving music um i could see it there's something about again like the very kind of rhythmic precision that feels um and and i think especially because like you know i grew up like in a small town about an hour away from the city so if you're driving into dallas and listening to this like album that feels very uh, urban not in like the the radio genre way, but as in like like a concrete city kind of way, like yeah. just feels very apropos. Like
0: yeah, I'm, I can I'm, see I'm, that.
1: I'm fucking cool now. I'm going. I'm going to be in the city and have adventures.
0: I think. I think. Yeah, maybe that was part of the appeal of the sound in general, because it was kind of like a new urban. It. It was. <laughs> I mean, I kind of describe it as the sound of gentrification. Um, yeah, and, and I don't think you're wrong. I mean, especially the way.
1: Indy went after this yeah and the way and the way austin kind of... went after this to be, yeah.
0: yeah well that's why it's so heavily because austin is like the the ground zero for this type of thing yeah
1: it's it's funny uh we'll get into it when we talk about the um songs but the other austinite band we were talking about covering is on this album <laughs> Uh,
0: oh, uh, Conrad Keeley oh, right, from,
1: right, from yeah. annual Knows by the Trail of Dead is on here playing Mellotron of all fucking things.
0: <laughs> yes, on the first song, Everything Hits at Once, yeah. which is, in my opinion, by far the best song on the album. So
1: I, I also really like the last song on the album, but they're fairly similar. Uh, Everything Hits okay. at Once and Chicago at Night. Um, it's a great opener. I think it's, a, it's, it's really taut there's a lot of tension in it that I think works super well. And I love the sound of the drums on this album. There's a very like kind of um, compressed snappy sound going. I mean, the the, yeah. the drummer, Jimmy knows a great drummer and he always sounds pretty good. Um, but I think specifically on this album, they're produced in such a way where they hit like uh, in a really snappy, satisfying way.
2: Still Back on my I feel that it hits.
1: It all hits at once in a way.
0: <laughs> yeah, it has that. It has that sound I associate with the two thousands. That like dry, snappy sound. Yeah, for sure. But it it does sound nice. Like the drums definitely do sound nice. It's a little bit of a like less of a, less of a compressed, more of a natural version of the, of the 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 fucking um Phil Collins do 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 yeah 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 g- gated uh, the gated reverb out. yeah.
1: There there is like, uh, I think one of the other things that marks this album out is that there is a presence of reverb or at least like a soft delay and this in a lot less distortion Mm. it's a much smoother album and i think that starts like in everything hits at once where like the guitar lines are very there aren't there isn't a lot of it um yeah and it's it's pretty like the most distorted
0: it gets is like rockabilly distortion (laughs) Yeah, there's a it's it's clean, it's minimal, it's sleek. This is why I describe it as like the aesthetic of gentrification because it's kind of like walking into a fucking you know, <laughs> IKEA or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Like there's a, it's the audio version of that to me because it's and I think part of it has become a little bit of a cliche, but I think what I like about the song is it does feel like there's genuine sort of pathos to the song. Um it it feels a little bit more like he doesn't
1: sound as cool on it, which I is, yeah. is a rare thing for Brit.
0: I I wrote down Tom Pettyish, which sometimes is an insult and sometimes <laughs> is a compliment for me.
1: Yeah, it really depends. I love Tom Petty, but yes, it it can be wielded as a weapon for sure.
0: Um, we also have the mellotron solo, which is a nice part of the song, uh, done by. Um, the, the guy from Conrad
1: Keeley, guitarist and yeah. drummer occasionally for, and you will know us by the trail of dead, uh, a band we will, we will likely cover sooner than later. Um, yes. who are extremely yeah. different <laughs> than Spoon, like yeah. where, where, where Spoon is all like careful, cool minimalism. Uh, and you will know us is by the trail of dead is like the most bombastic post hardcore band that's ever existed. Um, had a reputation in austin for like you know they had to bring their own breakables because they broke everyone else's drums
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's funny uh by the way this song was released as the second single for the album on september 10th 2001 my god (laughs) We'll, we'll never we'll never get away from september 11th on this podcast no we'll never
1: forget it um. Yeah. Not even we'll once. Never forget it. Um. No. Everything hits at once. I think it's like, it gets at something I really enjoy about spoon songwriting when it's good, which is that it cr- creates its hooks out of kind of rhythmic tension and anxiety. Um. Mm. You know, I don't like when Brit sounds really cool. I like it when he sounds kind of like anxious and panicky.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, which, like I said, it there there's a bit more of the the fusion of like the kind of pathosy '90s band in there with the too cool for school, too early 2000s. Like, you can feel the fusion in this song in a way that actually I feel like is effective. Yeah,
1: I think that's a good way of putting it. And and um, I think this album at its best kind of puts those things together uh, in a way that feels really natural. Um, and in a way that I don't think they ever really did again. You know, one of the things I like about Girls Can Tell and Series of Sneaks is that even though more or less they make the same album over and over again, I feel like these are vibes they haven't fully returned to um in a way that they return to the vibes on Kill the Moonlight a bit.
0: Is it because it's like more songwritery, you think? I, that- I think it's I think
1: it's partially that and partially that the aesthetics are, pro- are probably really specific to the time they were made. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, same year as, as um, uh, O Inverted World, yeah. which is also like very 60s influenced.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like they feel like kind of locked in, like Girls Can Tell feels locked into 2001 in a way that Series of Sneaks feels locked into
0: 1998. Um, so that's probably part of it. Uh, I think it's interesting to reflect on the fact that, like, you know, we've sort of been in the era where it feels like the 80s never ends, like popular music continually wants to sound like the 80s. Maybe we're like finally getting out of that era. I don't know. We're we're starting to get into
1: a a 90s revival, uh, at least in terms of like pop music with, um, oh my God, Olivia Rodrigo and uh,
0: what Bruno Mars has been doing lately um well some of that is like early 2000s as well some of it
1: but like uh you know something like brutal is very much like a riot girl pastiche or um True. there's definitely some like new jack swing sneaking into uh pop music these days um yeah it's, 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 but it's like, like baby steps right now we're starting to get into it
0: yeah i think the 60s was similar in that it just never went away in popular music for a very long time yeah it was it until, was so
1: big in the 90s.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and early 2000s as well yeah. and um eventually sort of fell out of favor, but um yeah, uh, one quote from uh this is from Brit Daniel. This is the one song that actually has a Wikipedia article. It's from it's also the name of their best of album. Which is a good. That's a good um, name for a best yeah. of. Yeah. Says, he says this song was a turning point of a song for us. I don't think there's a song that could have, we could have come up with that would have been as far away from a series of sneaks as that one. I was proud of that, and that's why we jammed on it. Uh, we jammed it on the front of the album. It was sort of an announcement. We're able and we're excited to go different places. And uh, Eleanor Friedberger describes it as, um, she says it's so radically different than anything he'd done before. Like he totally embraced Fleetwood Mac. I remember Brit listening to Tusk over and over and when I'd heard that I was like okay it has sunk in completely it's working. <laughs> it's funny cuz if we're going to compare it to
1: Fleetwood Mac Tusk is not the album I think of. Like it sounds like it sounds closer to like Dreams or Rihanna.
0: <laughs> She's like trying to um I guess uh propagandized pop music to him and it and it worked <laughs> um not, a, not maybe maybe
1: sh- it should have worked better like I, I wish she sounded more
0: like the fiery furnaces <laughs> yeah yeah maybe she was like his muse or whatever you know she, she she had all the the creative energy of that <laughs>
1: uh
0: yeah it, i mean anyway it, uh, it, it is a good song and it is
1: fairly different from like telephono or series of sneaks
0: Yeah, this song also has a music video, and it's the most fucking Aaron Esurance ass (laughs) music video. (laughs) It's just that, like, uh, it's just that disposable, like, 2000s flash art. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of like a shitty version of um, what's that movie by um, the slacker guy? (laughs) Uh, Oh, Waking Life, yeah.
1: Waking Life, yeah. It is exactly that kind of rotoscoped, poorly rotoscoped. I'm looking at it now this is exactly the style of waking life
0: yeah it would have been around the same bad. time right <laughs> uh but a little before i think well the guys and the dudes from oh no literally all right exactly the same time amazing wow. um, um but yeah uh so i guess it was just you know just trendy at the time but yeah that's everything hits at once do you have anything else to say about that song
1: no i mean i think one of the things we'll, we'll find as we go through is that none of these songs are particularly deep or rewarding to extended conversation.
0: Yeah. They are we're gonna good we're gonna yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dive through these next several uh pretty quickly. So I, uh, I like
1: Believing is art. I think believing is art feels the most like a series of sneak song, like the way it's like it's very kind of staccato and it's very focused on being rhythmically a bit off.
2: Believing is love breaks your heart.
1: the review it's- mentions it, it sounds a bit like thirty-gallon tank, which I think is not
0: wrong. Yeah, it's it's very groovy, like it just is. It's not really a song ready no. song. It just kind of he's just kind of grooving on a thing. It's a it's a not bad second track. Um I don't start to, I didn't start to like dislike some parts of the album until a little bit later. Um But yeah, it I don't know. It just sounds like the early 2000s to me. It
1: it it certainly does. I think I I think the album's already kind of short. I think it could lose about three or four songs. And if it did, then, like, it wouldn't... The uh, monotony of sound wouldn't wear the way it currently does. Because mm-hmm. um, I think Believing is Art is a great mood uh, preserver. Um, but not not a song I would, like, put on a mixtape. <laughs>
0: No, but it's good after like a a, a legitimate pop song right. to put it like right after. So it's a good second track. Um, really, it's just like a groove. Uh, yeah, I wrote down a groove. Mostly doesn't really have a song structure. Not too bad. Not too bad.
1: Um, I I, I actually really liked me in the bean, and I'm I was surprised to find out it was a cover.
0: Yeah. Um, Especially the 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 chorus part, which just sounds like the Strokes. It sounds exactly <laughs>
1: like the Strokes. I know, it, 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 and not out of character for Spoon either. Like,
0: yeah, the Tom Bryhan review is like, oh, this didn't sound like anything else that came out that year, and I'm like, gee, I think is this it? Came out the same yeah, year.
1: Yeah, it sounds a lot like the Strokes, and both of them sound a lot like Elvis Costello. Like, it's not, <laughs> it is not a revolution.
2: In my arms, read to me tarot cards. She don't know anything, but she is beautiful to me. Whoa-oh-oh.
0: I don't get. It. I guess you had to be there because, it, but no, even we as were somebody there. who was, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you had to be in your early 20s in like an urban dwelling uh, or something. Yeah, I think. I don't. Know. I think you
1: had to be a, a music writer trying to create a scene.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it's like oh, it's like the American version of like Americans were like oh, we want enemy like we want our own version of enemy like where they just hype things. They hype that a band we shouldn't. Yeah, they hype a mediocre <laughs> band to death and then drop them and let them die. Uh, yeah, it's tr- it did feel That's, that way. <laughs> that like the two thousands was like it just it, it, the two thousands did feel like a lot of like American uh, indie musicians and in music publications having sort of. Uh, UK British envy,
1: which is shocking to me because, I, as I've said before and will say again, British music journalism is the lowest form of literature. It's
0: it's not good <laughs> um,
1: to read or to experience. Uh,
0: yeah, I think there's a it's somebody that I know from the from Ireland. I was talking to them about this about how the sort of cultural thing goes both ways about how like he would sort of idealize and objectify aspects of Americana whereas I said like I would idealize and objectify aspects of like you know British or you know Americans do love yeah. to idealize and objectify Irish we, culture as well
1: yeah, I've I, I, you know I know a lot of Anglophilia I've seen it um but yeah I'm I'm shocked also to hear that it's a cover of a song by another Austinite because until today i would have sworn up and down me and the bean was a reference to chicago's bean yeah Um, because there's no otherwise it's an inexplicable title
0: so yeah i wrote down for this strokes chorus which again the chorus sounds
1: so much it's extremely strokes strokes. and it's it's a it's pretty different from the verse like it feels like yeah they are it feels almost intentional
0: the verse sounds more like bar bandy. I wrote bar bandy pathos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's like a, a little bit of Billy Joel in there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I I like the when the sort of elements of pathos come in because it feels like it's cutting through the... I mean, like so much of... Yeah. So much of music is like... I mean, there's the aesthetic, there's your presentation, and then there's, like, the thing that, you know, theoretically, hopefully, like, cuts through that and gets to some, like, emotional core. And I think everything hits at once is that for me. Like, every sort of band has their, uh, or every artist has their kind of mode of presentation or, like space that they operate in artistically and for me a lot of what how i determine how successful something is is its ability to kind of find the humanity in that if that makes sense no for
1: sure yeah that does make sense um
0: yeah and i get that from parts of this song and everything hits at once and i don't get that from some other spoon songs i think you it know? especially it starts getting into
1: some weaker tracks after this. I am not a big fan of lines in the suit.
0: Yeah. I've i straight up wrote, I don't like this song. I, I said flat guitar riff. That's boring. Cause it has that bird. It's bird. It's boring. It's, it's a
1: mode that spoon gets into something like, uh, I believe it's, it's either agony of Lafitte or Lafitte. Don't fail me now. Um, where they have the same kind of like acoustic guitar, f- almost not, not flamenco, but b- borrowing chords from that mode. To create this kind of like, I don't know, man. It just doesn't sound very good and I don't like it.
2: Okay,
0: I was conf- see I'm already confusing the song with the, with the fitted shirts. Yeah, and and I I don't love that song either. Okay, so what I was gonna say, yeah, this has a flat guitar riff. That's I there is actually a demo version of this song that I think w- is actually better than than oh, the I- version they released because it's like an acoustic demo and it again you hear like a little bit more pathos mm-hmm. um then you and i th- i think it's the flat sound it doesn't work it works for some things it doesn't work for other things and this has the this sounds like um i wrote down has a bit of a bus stop hollys energy but works That's a really
1: good way of putting it. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Um, it's it, it's a very old-fashionedy feeling song, and with a different arrangement, like I I feel like it could work better. But with just the the straight flat like arrangement, like the ba da da, you know, it just it doesn't doesn't work. It's too it's not interesting enough for me. No,
1: it, it yeah, it doesn't just doesn't feel like it's doing anything. Um, and it's not like straightforward in an atmospheric way, like, uh,
0: uh, believing is art. Mm-hmm. Uh, believing art is art is more abstract and more of a groove. Whereas this is like, really sounds like he's trying to write like a mid sixties pop song with the like, cause there's some vocal harmonies and stuff in it too, but it just kind of keeps, there isn't, I don't know. It doesn't work as well. Like it's like a, it's like a B side to, to for one of those art, like mid sixties artists. Like, it wouldn't, it would be one of their tossed off songs. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But then we get into the the fitted shirt. Uh, which I also don't care for. Uh, I said, I, I don't like the lyrics to this one. <laughs> they kind of stand out. What he's talking about. He's like, oh, I wish I had a fitted shirt.
2: Why? The fitted shirt on me. days they used to say ma'am and yes sir now i'm going to find buttons for my dad's all you sure um oh
0: i you know i spoon's lyrics are never about anything (laughs) you know (laughs) it just sounds like it sounds like i don't know so much of his voice i said this to you earlier but it sounds like a guy from the south trying to sound like a british guy trying to sound like an american guy which is yeah which is spot on (laughs) there's just this like i don't know how to uh, i don't know he just has a very like this is a very like dude's rock song (laughs) to me
1: yeah it's just yeah it it, it, it uh, I, I it doesn't
0: do anything for me. I said uh he's trying to sound like revolver cuz there's a harpsichord <laughs> in Yeah, fair. I don't understand what it is about like people and their obsession with fucking sounding like revolver. Like I get that it's a great Beatles album, but like I had this problem with the jam actually too. Like I liked some of their singles a lot, but then some of their album tracks I was listening to and it's like, he's just trying to sound like revolver. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I will say as far as like sound
1: alex go, anything you want definitely sounds like Tom Petty. (laughs)
0: yeah uh, the other thing i was gonna say about the fitted shirt is it also makes me think of i think i was getting like bored of listening to spoon um so i started listening to isolation drills Pike guided by voices because it came out the same year yeah good album um yeah and this song makes me think of skills like this uh it has a similar groove except i like that song better and it's got a hook yeah <laughs> Well, that's what I was noticing listening to God kind of My Voices. I was like, "Wow, these are good pop songs." Yeah, they're when they put their minds to it. When they're not just being, you know,
1: little weirdos, little rock and roll weirdos. Yeah, they have a great, great pop songs.
0: Um, but, but yeah, anything you want. Um, I swear I heard this on an ad or something. It just has that sound. I mean, again,
1: it's it sounds so much like a Tom Petty single. It sounds so much like a. That kind of song. And I like it. I think it's a great song, but it is that kind of song.
2: (laughs) Come on back, cause it's all still here. I'll be in the back room drinking my half of the beer.
0: Yeah. I said it's it's maybe my second or third favorite on the album. Um I the I think I think I it sounded familiar because the intro is extremely similar to this um song by uh Wolf Parade that has the same organ at the beginning. It's called um You're Dreaming. It's like one of their later songs, but it, it has the exact same kind of organ mm-hmm. like right at the beginning of the song. So it's a similar like riff but i swear to god i heard this in an ad somewhere just that like (laughs) bring me bring me you know like that organ 60s i don't know it sounded familiar to me but yeah it is it is more of just a a straight up pop song um and then we have take a walk (laughs) yeah um this says that herky jerky rhythm that I really hate the bra brown handle brown
1: I so I like herky jerky rhythm spoon but this the the actual music of it is so so normal <laughs> like it's it's such like a, a a normal classic rock and roll riff um that it's just it's the it's not enough the the rhythm is not enough to keep me
0: interested
2: rock it all right too. And it won't get back together. with stitches of blue. And now that song's been sung, it's just the cost of what's been done. The cost of taking a walk with you. And I can tell myself this is for all
0: it sounds like a cosplay of a rebellious song. He's like, oh, you can just take a walk. But I, I just don't feel the, like, I don't know. This is this is the problem that I have with some of these artists holding, like, certain images or ideas of, like, uh, previous, um, uh, like, 60s artists in such a high regard. It's like, if you're trying to do that thing, or, or even, like, you know, like the 80s post-punk music you're trying to do that thing and it just doesn't sound it's it sounds like a lesser imitation of it to me i don't know
1: yeah for sure it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like them you know
0: yeah it sounds like a lot of post-punk revival songs like some of the more like uh you know stuff that you would hear like a little bit more mainstream like uh i don't know it's like like a lesser franz ferdinand kind of song. <laughs>
1: lesser franz ferdinand is about right. Yeah. It's got that that same melodic sensibility.
0: And then we have 10:20 a.m. which is him attempting to write a song on village green preservation society. Which is I think is why I like it a little better because I I I like the kinks. <laughs> yeah, I it sounds different from other songs. It's probably my other like second or third favorite song on the album cuz at least it's a pretty good uh attempt at that era like something else uh village green era of kinks which is which were great
1: albums you know
0: yeah i don't really have much else to say about it other than that it it is good that it like stands out there's he actually like again like with uh lines in the the suit like um You know, how I wish that that was like an acoustic demo. I think it works better. This song works good as an acoustic song. And I can imagine the way that it might have been ruined by (laughs) them trying to do like a, you know, a you know version of it. So I'm glad that they like at least changed up the, the textures a little bit. I think this is one thing that they like improved with on Kill the Moonlight, even if the songwriting didn't necessarily improve or anything. Yeah.
2: 10 20 a.m 10 20 a.m when will i ever see you again 10 20 a.m when will i ever see you again It starts
0: to sink in. Uh, um, but yeah. So then we have T- Take the Fifth.
1: Take the Fifth feels the most like, oh, yes, you've been listening to Elvis Costello. You've been listening to Get Happy. I get it.
0: Yeah, I wrote down Rubber Soul except slightly more jock jam. Uh, yeah, that's Elvis Costello.
2: <laughs> Wind is walking out alone outside of the night. Get more than a slap on the wrist And it's clear who's I'll admit, So I'll take
0: the fifth. Okay, maybe I need to listen to more of his you, music. You, I,
1: everybody needs to listen to more Elvis Costello. He's uh,
0: amazing.
1: Um I like it. I like Take the Fifth. I think it's again, it's it's a it's a jaunty, it's a nice change of pace. Um, you know. I think, especially coming right after ten twenty a.m. I think if this was like buried in the album, it wouldn't hit. Uh, but right after ten twenty a.m., it's like, okay, no, this is different from the last song.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I don't know. It just sounds too six. It sounds too much like Rubber Soul to me. You know, and I, I, that, I, I think I've listened to Rubber just, Soul like once. <laughs> Okay, because I just hear,
2: say the word and you'll be free.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. You know. <laughs> like, just the same, I, I don't know, it's like the same. I listen. See, I was a huge Beatles fan growing up, so I listened to tons of Rubber Soul, Revolver, like all of those albums. So it's so internalized that whenever I hear stuff that sounds like that, I was just like, I don't know, I'm sort of like Brian Wilson was to the Elephant Six, where he's like, get your own sound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a fine song though. I, I don't I don't dislike it. It just sounds too much like that whole musical lineage to me. I, li- um, I like it a lot better uh, than the next song. This book is a movie, which is an instrumental.
1: Yeah, and in which they just they can't make work. I, they're not. They don't have enough interest.
0: Yeah, they're not like an instrumental band they write songs that are very spare and short. like this is not a this is not a band that is like good at like instrumental textures like good complex arrangements that would make that kind of thing work well I don't know. yeah
1: it's just they're, yeah they just they're not the kind of band that can do this you know and they haven't they never really have been
0: um it's like it's fine for an instrumental but it is one of those things maybe they just needed something to like transition to the last song which is more moody so they threw that there so yeah. I, could, I could sort of understand that but it does feel just like padding it's definitely
1: a mood preserver chicago at night is like is maybe my favorite song
2: on the album
1: i think it's tops for me
2: Now you went to Chicago. She faced the wall And she Woke up outside With all those knees in her mouth And felt the poor And all night The rain Came on down, But then she never been to Chicago Not before the fall Oh, don't stop But it all Evokes
1: Um it's just, it's so good at its, at its mood, it, like it's it's it is to me the moodiest song on the album, which I really so it, it appeals to me on that level, and it its melodic terms are turns are so weird to me,
0: <laughs>
1: in a way that like is really engaging.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I have like really no opinion about the song. I do like that it's moodier. I guess it just doesn't really hit me, but. It's possible I just need to listen to this song more again. like I it's the end of the album, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was discovering this album for the first time. and of course, the last song in the album is the one that I gave the least time to. So yeah,
1: valid. Uh, you know, yeah, give it give it more of a chance. I think it's it's the I don't know. It's very evocative to me. It's very atmospheric in a way that um, is my favorite kind of thing the album does is the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and so like this really really covers it
0: yeah I think it's a you know it's a good songwritery song I can see I can see that I wish I had more (laughs) more to say I can I can feel a little bit more of the pathos that I'm feeling from like everything hits at once and stuff it just like I think this is the problem when it feels like an artist is trying to do the music nerd thing too much and they're not bringing in enough of themselves yeah so when yeah and like there's a little bit too much of the music nerd like in some of the other songs for me to like get really behind like feel like an emotional connection in the same way that I did to like you know everything hits at once and maybe No,
1: for sure. I, I a few others. I, I think there's definitely it's a cold feeling album and it's not cold in the intentional way of like an Interpol it's it's cold in the way that it feels much more focused on craft than yeah uh being like sort of evocative or emotional and either it's a craft that appeals to you or it doesn't you know and if it doesn't then yeah. there's very little to glom onto.
0: i feel like maybe the shins is similar in a way in that like i like that mode of songwriting a little bit more than you do right um and you like this mode uh a little bit more than i do but they're both if that makes they sense. both
1: definitely have that same vibe of like really breaking down how to create a song and focusing very much on like this, uh, perfected idea of a pop song.
0: Yeah. And well, I, I think it is like, it is rock music trying to become pop music without saying that it's pop music right. quite yet. Cause it's still not cool to say that you're pop music, even though that's what you are. Um, but now everyone wants to do pop music. <laughs> yeah, though um, Anyways, yeah. So that's that's girls can tell. <laughs> we took about we took about an hour, yeah. a little more than, but not too I, much I, more. I, so I,
1: it's fine. I know I have friends who are really into Spoon, and to those friends, I, I'm sorry. Uh, this is this is just this is all we can do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel you know cognizant about digging this up just to bury it. I mean, <laughs> Spoon has tons of fans. As we've said, uh, there's a big reunion tour happening. Uh, right now with spoon with spoon and interpol it just i think the thing that is funny to me about all of this is like i think of the 2000s as the era of like so many so many indie bands started having big reunion tours in the 2000s oh yeah that was when the the pixies got back together yeah and that was one of the first bands that i saw live actually is that first uh round of reunion tour in the in the unfortunately named Wexner Center in Columbus, guess who that's named after? Uh, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> the best friend of Jeffrey Epstein. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, Les Wexner very active in uh, in co- the Columbus cool, area. Cool, um, cool. Uh, Yeah, but that was the second show that, or maybe the third show that I saw. Yeah, I, I, um, I remember seeing them on Pixies. that tour. Too. It was, it, it was like good. They were into it. It seemed. <laughs> It was it was very much just like exactly like the album. Yes. But that was exciting. Yeah. But it's funny to me because I feel like so much of so much of 2000s culture was like grappling with uh a lot of like maybe artists or bands that were ignored but had you know were kind of underground or whatever percolating um and they all kind of had their own like you know pseudo mainstream moment it's just like you know it makes me think of like there were all these movies like in the late 90s maybe that didn't do very well or like tv shows that didn't do very well and then all of a sudden dvd sales hit right. and it's just like they were super successful that happened to family guy that happened to like that movie office space arrested like a bunch of stuff like that yeah. arrested development yeah and so those things are famous because of that or futurama is another right. one
1: yeah, no, it 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 definitely uh, it yeah, it has that vibe. Although the and the thing the thing is Spoon never went away and they never like had even even on like Interpol, they never really had like a fallow period where they fell out of um uh, critical favor. To me, I think if they're out of the cultural consciousness, it's because of uh, what I deemed on my last podcast, the Yolo Tango effect, wherein you're so consistently good or decent that it becomes boring.
0: Well, th- that's the thing. That's what it feels like. It feels much more cynical. It feels like the, you know, it feels like the Rolling Stones doing the fifth reunion tour or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Like much, much more so than like Mission of Burma reforming or the Pixies. Because re- those are bands that people love. And didn't get that it. That never really got a chance yeah. until the 2000s. For
1: sure. Um, no, it is. It is, The reunion tours lately do feel extremely cynical. Um but I I also... I have to wonder if part of that is because, again, the reunion tours happening now are the bands that we liked at the time uh, instead of, like, you know, when the Pixies came out, when Doolittle came out was, like, the year after I was born.
0: <laughs> well, but different... I mean, the the economics of the music industry were quite different. That's true. Because, like, like, a lot of these underground indie bands were sensations because of college rock or you know like they they grew over time and they were often like pretty short-lived because they just couldn't sustain themselves like either they were just unstable or like not economically sustainable whereas like a lot of these bands like the the shins or interpol or a lot of these artists were all very successful or at least successful within this like new indie mold to the point where it has allowed them to have a career consistently for the last 20 years you know right uh and i think that's what makes it feel a little more i don't know cynical (laughs) to me yeah, I and I think it's
1: also, to me, some of that cynicism also comes from my growing cynicism with Pitchfork and with the media that created this, where it's, um, and I'm sure this is the same kind of thing the boomers had to go through uh, when counterculture got commercialized, but there is this feeling of, you know, music that was very meaningful to me being turned into a... It's like the Bjork exhibit. It's like music that's very meaningful to me being turned into this uh, commercial product of like nostalgia bait. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think Spoon and Interpol are putting on great shows out there. I mean, Interpol was never a good live band um, or, or, you know, they weren't interesting it sounded like the album
0: yeah Um, they're probably yeah it's 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 it sounds like the album people remember that people a lot of people like lost touch with haven't followed new music as much and they want to hear that so i mean it makes sense but it it is like you can't compare it to like you know mission of burma or the pixies reforming because those bands occupied such a different place like in that or like dinosaur juniors
1: reunion tour too which is like a huge deal yeah because uh, they had hated each other for so long, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but yeah, but but I will say, like, for all of the ambivalence that may be coming out from our discussion of it, I do like Spoon, and I think Spoon is good. Um, they're just not the kind of band that gets me excited.
0: Yeah, for me, it's just it's just like the certain type of band that dudes on music forums in the two thousands would be over the moon for you know, uh, while they were trashing some electronic music or something as being overly trendy. Right. And it just felt like, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like that meme of the, the guy's like, fuck, I don't believe in this made up nonsense. And then he's like, so true. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's just that meme for me. Cause I, I don't know. It's, it kind of goes back to like the whole point of starting this podcast is, is really like, um, and i i don't want to like you know hammer on this point too much because like we have tried to branch out and listen to like you know we talk about Tory Amis. <laughs> you know tori amos or Black Alicious or boards of canada or, or bjork or whatever who are artists who we don't like feel necessarily fit into that mold at all but like i i think the the effect of this early 2000s like rock revival had on me was profoundly negative and I didn't really understand or like know why exactly and I think it's something that always like kind of carried with me even as i absorbed pitchfork stuff and like there's tons of stuff from the 2000s i love of course but there there's just this feeling of inherent like there's just this feeling of cynicism to a lot of like 2000s culture to me uh, um it's so funny that's not, oh no i'm sorry keep going yeah it's not it's not quite like not not in the same way of like 90s irony postmodern thing but more in a like intentionally, like, backward looking in a way that felt, like, kind of mercenary or, or something, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I, I wonder... I think that's one of the good contrasts between us as we're exploring this, because, like, I was so deep... I mean, I didn't care for, like, the garage rock revival, but, like, the post-punk revival and a lot of, like, the Montreal scene and the way indie music came up, like, I was so into, like, that was such a big part of my life um, that it's... I... It became... It sunk into my head as, oh, this is part of the cultural consciousness when in fact it was a moment in history um, that is as, you know, crass or cynical or embarrassing as any other like moment in history was um, or as meaningless as any other moment in history was. So it's that's kind of what's interesting about going back is like thinking about how you know spoon used to be huge bjork used to be huge um to the, the to the degree that it, I, it it was assumed to me that anyone i was talking to
0: would know them um yeah although that wasn't necessarily the case like if you grew up in a small town like some of no us I, I should did. say yeah uh yeah after going and get, going to
1: college i could assume that everybody i was talking to knew them. yeah
0: yeah definitely um but it was kind of like a i don't know i always called it at the time, uh, lifestyle music. Because <laughs> I, I, there is this kind of idea that you're like buying into a certain kind of just the whole scenester hipster 2000s culture was like so attached to like Apple products and like this certain kind of like new urbanism and stuff. That's why I call it the sound of gentrification. <laughs> it, it's just funny. Cause like I went to the Alamo draft house yesterday for the first time. Oh um, yeah. But they have one in Brooklyn or yeah, they have one in Brooklyn. They have one in New York, but there was like some, uh, day it was like some uh some citywide day where like t- movie tickets were cheap so me and a friend went and like at the beginning they were showing like they make their own like intros for for all of the beginning like um you know bef- that they show before the movies like and they were playing a bunch of mountain goats music oh, yeah. and <laughs> you know it it is like merge records and i was like yeah this makes sense like al like merge records alamo draft house like and it's because like alamo draft house is something like you know it's it's super fucking expensive it's nice to go to sometimes but it is something that is like (laughs) displacing what is left of like you know a city's identity it's like a symbol of gentrification of this particular kind of like boutique gentrification again alamo draft house an austin institution (laughs) Yeah. Again, something I associate with the city of Austin because yeah. I feel like Austin really just um, uh, pioneered this. I mean, Columbus, Ohio, is so much like trying to be lesser Austin. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just like this, like, uh, this like absorbing aspects of like this hipster culture, but also just this like kind of weird, tacky. Uh, h&m catalog like but it's like fusing like that like adulting with like uh you know these uh once like proud diy symbols that just kind of represent a kind of uh idea of like elevated middle brow at this point and like when i see merge records in that it's like it makes me think it's like spoon spoon is the exact music that I expect to be hearing and the intros for fucking Alamo draft House. Yeah. And yeah. so it's hard to like be really on board with, because like so much of the appeal of this like indie scene is that like, um, Oh, these are just normal guys. You know, there's actually some kind of like parasocial element to it. Um, where you project yourself on, cause you kind of want to be like, you know you want to imagine yourself as being in the same space if you're like somebody who's into that kind of music where you it's like I could be this person this person is reflects who I am you know in some way um and but it's it's hard for me to square that with the fact that so much of this is just the sound of something you would hear at Alamo Draft house now you know yeah
1: yeah you know I don't I don't think that's wrong and I think that's that that depresses me uh. Or it depresses the the 16-year-old Max deep inside of me, um, who is kind of a dick anyway, so whatever. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> well, I was a dick too. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry if I came off like being kind of super negative or a hater. I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to take away from anybody who liked or felt like this music was, you know, really important to them. Um, it just like, when I... Hear it in fucking ads all the time, or I, you know, associate it with like Alamo Draft House. It just like I don't know. It says more about like the
1: cultural context in which we experienced it than it does the the band's music itself.
0: Yeah, but. <sighs> A part of me feels like it's it's a little bit. Clo- it was always a little bit more closer to that stuff than maybe some other things were that have ended up in that place. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, sure, but I don't know if I condemn it for that.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I don't condemn it. I I don't know. It's it's not like you know. There was that article from the um, was it twenty fourteen? The unbearable whiteness of India. Yeah. You remember that article? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like one of those things where it's like it's it's true. I mean, it's without a doubt true. Yes. But it also is like there's only so far as you can go like as a moral condemnation cuz really it just reflects a larger reality of like the music industry and the fact that music genres have been intentionally segregated by Um, aspects of, you know, our society, our culture, and the music industry from the very beginning, you know. Yeah. Um, So it's just hard to, like, hold, you know, this era of indie rock to the fire of being especially guilty of that one. It's like everything is guilty of that. Yeah, and I think observing
1: that, this is, like, the effect of a dysfunctional system. Um, is not the same thing as discrediting the art. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think these are both things to keep in mind, but I don't think one of them uh, nullifies the other.
0: Well, I think that's why I kind of, you know, around the time actually I started listening to your your other podcast, in um, around 2018 I started getting back into, like, indie rock that I listened to, in the 2000s and before, because I I did have a period of just like trying to reject all of it, um, mm-hmm. because it just was associated with a lot of those things for me, and I I think I realized that it's like, you know, you just gotta take things on a artist to artist basis, you know? Yeah, we everyone's gotta
1: navigate that the way that they, they works for them. Um, um we keep (laughs) i feel bad because we keep referring back to this other podcast i had that is no longer on the internet and you cannot find it if you wanted to
0: (laughs) can can you find is it still like up on like because sometimes it's archived if uh, it is
1: i don't know about it i just i missed too many payments on the website so it 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 went down and took all the uploads with it
0: i probably have the files somewhere but i'd have to re-upload them uh you do have some episodes up on like because some you know like uh I look, the listennotes.com, for example, uh, has your episodes on there. Huh. If you you Google Desert Island Discourse.
1: Which is the name of of said podcast for anybody listening. Um,
0: Um, Actually, actually, yeah, here I'll, I I don't know, because a lot of these, like, services will just archive it if you've uploaded it to a certain, like, I think iTunes, if you upload it to iTunes, they'll just archive it um there's a bunch of these different websites and services i've noticed that anyway from from my own stuff because yeah i have a podcast that i used to just list just upload to archive.org uh because i didn't want to pay for a hosting service that's so
1: much smarter
0: (laughs) yeah um but uh yeah i haven't updated it for years but it still shows up on those things because of that
1: well if you can if you can find it online you are welcome to it um it was it had some good episodes and some bad ones
0: um (laughs) anyways as every podcast (laughs) indeed anyway anyway so moving well the so we wanted to talk about a couple of things before
1: we go right yes um so one of those things which feels like kind of a natural uh progression from talking about the garage revival because in the post-punk revival because it's been made synonymous with it is this idea of indie sleaze
0: yeah which
1: is seems to be the indie sleaze revival which seems to be catching on as the terminology for this era of music and feels very weird and uh um
0: incorrect at least to me but uh uh It seems like it originates from an Instagram account. It says there's an Instagram account posting pictures from the mid to late 2000s indie Electra party scene. Um, And it's been written up in a bunch of, you know, as the new like fashion aesthetic or whatever. Um, So yeah. Uh, This is this article that we're referencing is, is uh, in the quietest, by the way, if you search Indie Sleaze, the quietest, you'll find it. Um, uh, Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's an
1: interesting idea. It it makes me feel like, you know, so many scenes were, like, retroactively defined. Um, you know, if, if you think about, like, Riot Girl, so much of that, like, was a name applied to them uh, after the fact. But Indie Sleeves specifically feels weird because, like, the bands, the image of the bands, except for maybe, like, the yeah, yeah, yeahs, wasn't one of sleaze and, and I don't think I didn't really associate sleaze with the scene until like meet me in the bathroom came out.
0: Yeah, I guess I did a little bit cause I mean there's that element to like the strokes certainly. Um, or like something like LCD sound system. I, I don't know. But even, um, even, ma- maybe even then the- that,
1: that felt more like a, like a pose.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean it it all felt like a pose. I don't know, it's the um that like Vice Media two thousand scenester hipster thing, the the whole like you know, I don't know, like like fashion models like being like who look there's this kind of like slight heroin chic aesthetic and like it's very um <laughs> all the pictures are in these like dingy fucking uh settings because it's like that's kind of the the cheap new york brooklyn aesthetic i guess at the time the 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 belief that cbgbs is 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 real yeah i think that comes from the post-punk revival i think what's interesting about this indie sleaze article is they interview uh a psychological scientist and uh what what this what this guy says is a lot of people uh have this view that nostalgia is just people stuck in the past. There are certainly are people like that, but for the most part, from the research we've done, it seems more to be the case that the the past is more a source of inspiration. It can increase creativity as well as having an imaginative fantasy component to it as well. Um So yeah, and then and then the 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 author of the article was like, Yeah, but this stuff sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> and um this guy is like our research shows that when people are feeling uncertain or anxious or they don't know what's going on they often become nostalgic people tend to become more nostalgic when there's a lot of changes going on in their lives or society so this can coincide with you know turning 30 getting into your 30s of course Mm -hmm. uh which both of us are (laughs) um yeah can you imagine reacting to
1: reacting to being in your 30s by starting a nostalgia based media project.
0: Yeah, I would never no, do that, that. Um and I I would not recommend anyone ever <laughs> do that uh ever. <laughs> um but I I mean I think that is kind of like it is for me it's it's more fun to pick at the scab than to just like longingly wistfully uh look back on it cuz if you you pick at it a little more you see all the bad stuff too. So you don't view it in the you know like you might have nostalgia for something, but you you don't you don't view it as this great wonderful time when everything was right with the world. If that makes right. sense, uh, Which I think is the most important part. It's like the most important part of nostalgia is not like is not looking back to the '90s or the '2000s and being like, oh, everything was so great then. Especially, which it that's wasn't. That's been happening a lot with. Yeah, which it wasn't. That's been happening a lot with the 90s lately especially. Which is, is extremely wild. But yeah, it's because of, you know, pre-9/11, there wasn't any major wars or like, you know, all this kind of stuff. Of course there actually there was, was, but <laughs> in Eastern Europe, but um but yeah, also like Desert uh, Storm. <laughs> yeah, Desert Desert Storm too. Mm. Um but um he also says uh this is an interesting point that I think is well well taken. Um people want to have cultural significance. This is the same um uh, Dr. Clay Routledge. Um we are a very youth driven culture but also part of the way cultural transmission works from generation to generation is looking for connecting points. Like the newer Star Wars movies for example, we need those intergenerational connection points. Makes sense? Yeah. Um, I mean a lot
1: what a lot of this feels like is at some point, realizing that you have become uh, the older generation and reckoning with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of millennials are very uncomfortable. with It feels pets. weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't make me feel that weird, if only because... I mean, it makes me feel weird because everyone was talking about how millennials are ruining everything. Mm-hmm you know, and then they suddenly switched to talking about how Gen Z was ruining everything at some point. Yeah. And I I feel like
1: I missed that attention. I was, I was ruining everything. I felt good about it,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it felt like that switch happened just like abruptly. Like it just flipped. It's, 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 it it does feel that way. Um, and it's so funny. Uh,
1: but, um, yeah, it's a bummer. I, I miss, I miss being the hated generation uh oh yeah plenty people
0: still hate millennials yeah but it's not it's not the same not the way they used to (laughs) yeah it's not like it used to be Uh, what's funny
1: is like what are we idealizing with indie sleaze as the terminology right and it feels like what it is is like a reaction to this perceived puritan culture
0: of the youth yes yeah, I think it's I think it's the idea of uh, Puritan cancel culture, but it also comes from like coming out of the pandemic, people feeling more and more sort of cut off from each other. This like so much of this uh, this idea, like in a way, like two thousands indie culture. We've talked about this before. Was kind of the last gasp of a culture that was very oriented around physical. Uh, in that in that space scenes and of course it intersected with online stuff in a, in a very unique way to the 2000s For where sure. things have moved increasingly online since then so a lot of those sp- you know a lot of people like wanting to occupy that role I mean it's the same thing that goes into that fucking the dime square <laughs> Yeah, stuff that's happening in in New York that is like straight up, you know, straight I don't, up fascist reactionary. I don't get it. And I th- I think it's worth stating that uh
1: you and I are in agreement that the idea that the young the younger generation is a puritan like puritan fascist or whatever is is incorrect or is is, yeah, is it's overstating an observed Twitter trend which is not yeah. does not
0: define I mean, a generation. It, it's a thing that has happened but it's 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 a but it's not a trend that is, like, that I would ascribe just to... Generation Z, ...younger people. Yeah, and there's, like, I don't know, there's different elements of it because there are also, like, Gen Zers who are, you know, very far in the other direction of, like... I mean, Gen Zers were really into fucking... um, Really into fucking... XX... Yeah, really into fucking... They're really into XX Tentacion, you know, for example. Oh, um, yeah, I don't... I, (laughs) I mean but you know what i mean like it's like i do it's like really sleazy objectionable
1: stuff yeah for for sure like I, i i don't think sleaze is is unique to that era of music i mean especially like you know if you look at uh what's happening in a lot of like trans music spaces which seem to embrace like uh body horror <laughs> and, like very like physical yeah. like like stuff like you know backwash or black dresses feels very like um if not sleazy in this like hyper capitalist way that uh the strokes defined it then then a, a very much an unsettling kind of sleaze that uh I, you know it's it's still there right it's not it's not yeah. being afraid of like nudity or drugs or being uh dirty
0: <laughs> yeah thirst. and i th- i think yeah. yeah i do think it just comes from a thirst for like this uh mm-hmm. you know yeah. things to feel a little bit more like just exciting or consequential or like you know that there's something you're you're getting out and moving in a space with your body and you're doing things and you have room to fuck up or whatever because everything is so observed online to where it's like you might not be, you know, it you might only be dogpiled for a day by some of your friends on Twitter, but there are there have been situations where I've been friendly with people and I've tweeted something and then they just decided that I'm not their friend and they don't want to talk to me anymore. <laughs> it, it hasn't happened to like best friends, you sure. know. But but it has happened where I there was one I I still think about this. I was like I tweeted that um that I just realized that Sha Day was spelled S A D E. I thought that was a different musician. Mm-hmm. Like I thought S A D E was a different musician. I didn't realize it was Sha Day. And someone I knew like responded to me with a frowny face and unfollowed me and has never talked to me since Aww. then. I mean, to me that
1: that feels like When I thought that segue and seg were two different words, you know, like, but you hear you hear something and you read something and it's hard to like, or, you know, before I ever listened to the
0: Wu-Tang Clan, I used to call the RZA the RZA. I mean, but the implication was because this person was non-white that it, that I was being racist or whatever. I I think that was kind of like what they were suggesting, and they were the type of person who does suggest those types of things. So yeah, I mean, I, to me, to me, it just are, says you, you haven't listened to a lot of Sade. which is no, it, it which is very which true. Is a different I do thing. have one of her albums, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just like it, it's very easy to be people there is this culture of like hypersensitivity to certain types of things like that. And I think it goes back into the, I think I also like, you know, when that unbearable whiteness of indie thing came out, I was like, yeah, you know, totally, that's right. You know, I was on totally on board with that. And then years later I was like, again, like it's a similar thing of like, you can't really attribute the entire problems with the music industry to like, one space or one scene no. like it's a it's a it's a, it's <laughs> a especially nowadays when it is
1: so so like um what's the
0: word I'm looking for it's like atomized it's everywhere, <laughs> yeah, and i mean i I think it's i think people should absolutely we should like be um sort of reckoning with the past in an interesting way to where it's like I don't think that any I mean, I, I really... Do, I re- and I and maybe this is a, a cancelable opinion, but I, I, I think music belongs to everybody, regardless of the type of music up. it is. And obviously, <laughs> like... Yeah. But I mean, obviously, like, you have to come in with your own relationship with it. You can't just straight up, you know... I don't think it's a good idea for to straight up do an imitation of somebody else, especially, like, of a different cultural, you know, space or milieu than you. I don't think that that's... Sure. Well, it's but, like, it's, you know, there's, there's
1: everyone- a difference between reading tony morrison and then trying and trying to write about like the african-american experience
0: (laughs) yeah i i mean the point is it's like everyone takes influence or everyone i feel like everyone should take influence from everyone and and these kind of ideas that something is of one thing or another thing is a little frustrating and it and I, a lot of it is created by the economics of the music industry or just cultural industries in general. Um, and I think that's what I find frustrating because it's like, I want, you know, I want people to be able to reclaim and feel like, even if they don't feel like, you know if you're somebody who feel like you were the exact opposite type of person to where to like who the spoon or the strokes was directed at, like I want them to be able to come in and be like, "Hey, I'm going to claim this for myself and do something with it. I think that's great, you yeah. know, I think people should do that, so I agree, or yeah, so i I don't know it's um. <sighs> I, it just, it's a, it's a frustrating conversation to the point where it's like, I, I can get why a lot of people just don't want to talk about it because the discourse just like goes on and on and people, you know, some people, I think a majority of people just want to do their own thing and don't really give a shit at the end of the day. But there are certain people who are very loud about these sort sorts of things and that can't be ignored because a lot of those people can have a lot of influence on like, you know, Uh, what gets discussed about it in an open way in the media or on Twitter or whatever, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) we were also going to talk about this whole article about people in their thirties giving up on music. I mean, we already kind of covered covered it. it, My my
1: opinion on this is not complicated. This is, this is a thing. This is a thing people know. It's why, uh, our parents still listen to the bands they listened to in high school and college. Uh, if you you have sometimes you have to make an
0: effort to keep up with art. I I really think it just comes down to that you have to make an yeah. effort. Um, but I th- I I don't think there's. I get frustrated when people kind of suggest that there's something inherent to the biology of people that. No, yeah, it, I think it's just it's it's your priorities and where you're at. <laughs> well. Because, you know, when a lot of people get into their 30s, they're more spending time, you know, around maybe a smaller group of people. They're not, like, actively – they're probably less actively engaged with large groups of people who are, like, actively consuming art and culture. Like, you're probably not going out to shows quite as much as you used to. Or if you are, you're going out to the bands that you (laughs) were going out to shows for before that. Yeah. and it just does take uh, time and energy. I mean, I have put some time and energy into stuff. So there is some stuff that I went to, some shows that I've went to, like when I saw Machine Girl and it was like, even I, I, that was a few years ago. And even then I felt like I was, I was like 31 or 32 at that point, and And uh, I felt like I was older than everyone by several years yeah. <laughs> at the show. So I, but i don't know i mean like it's not like i i do also think that music culture is very very youth oriented in a way that like a lot of other aspects of culture aren't as much and that is frustrating uh, when especially when we're talking about like popular music um so you know things that you like might be outside of that you know yeah yeah context uh so it might not feel as tied to the era and time you know you're probably you know i think a lot of millennials checked out when like by the time like olivia rodrigo or whoever hit there's nothing wrong with her music but it is something that feels more that it belongs to gen z if that makes sense funnily i
1: i yes but also that music as we were talking about earlier feels very referential to older music i mean billy joel reference aside like uh, Brutal is a very, uh, Riot Girl era song. And,
0: um, is that the one, the- that the one with the Elvis Costello riff in it? With the, da, 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 yes, da, yeah, yeah. Da, da. And, oh, okay. and Good For
1: <laughs> You is a very, like, uh, third wave emo era song. Like, it's, it's. That's the Paramore song? That's the <laughs> Paramore song, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, all of which is to say, um, Yeah, you know, keep up up with art. You have to make an effort when culture stays young and, you know, when you get older but culture stays the same age.
0: (laughs) It isn't, yeah. It's like, I mean, like, I think both of us had very strong experiences um, around, we'll say, college age with a lot of the music that we're talking Mm -hmm. about Um, or maybe a little younger too because, I don't know, when I was in college, it was just like a social... It was a huge part of like, uh, you know, what was going on at that school. The kinds of things that people were listening to and talking about was this like pitchfork indie culture. So, you know, I very much absorbed it, even if, even if I wasn't trying to. Even if I was spending a lot of time listening to things that weren't of the era, it all felt sort of connected back to that same thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think I think once you like get out of that context, you're you're not in that sort of situation anymore or you move to a city when you're young etc and you're absorbing things in a very active way um it's just like things aren't less things are being directed at you at that point in time you know so i so you just have to put in more effort i guess but it's fine i mean i will say like i i had a weird relationship with the stuff because i started transitioning in my early to mid 20s so i have this kind of like a lot of this indie music that I associate with from before that. And then I have the Bjork and Tori Amos, which I associate, you know, with like my mid twenties. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's like almost its own like teen. And it's because like a lot of emotionally intense stuff was happening, you know, for me. So I think, and I think that can be true regardless of how old you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because music definitely attaches itself to whatever's going on in your life at that time in a way. It, and to where if something really grabs a hold of you to some emotional state that you were in at a particular time, then, you know, regardless of when it came out and how old you are, it can have a profound impact, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's enough about that. Um, um, yeah, and then... Uh, <laughs> I guess we should talk about this. Um, so one thing uh, in 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 the, uh, I shouldn't laugh about this really, but like in the indie news of the day, um, uh, yes, another person has been me too, unfortunately. Um, and uh, so if you've been reading the news, it's uh, Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire. There was an article on Pitchfork um, uh, about him kind of, you know, sexual harassment, sexual abuse of a few different people. I mean, you can read it if you want to. It's in pitchfork. Yeah. Um but we aren't really going to talk about that aspect of it. Although I will say our first episode that we recorded that we kinda scrapped, um Yeah, the last episode uh, was <laughs> Yeah, was actually an arcade fire Funeral episode and we will do Them eventually but obviously there'll be Some caveats I don't think we were going to say Anything nice about Win Butler Anyway no. um, He's always you know there's always been Some issues there but it's It's so the main thing we wanted to talk about was Feist um, Yeah because she she put out a statement because She was touring with them um, I mean the statement is kind of Like you can view it in in multiple Ways you can view it as a um, Like damage control um you know which it is um, I, yeah, and you can view it as uh grappling with this thing and being genuinely upset and and frustrated which it also is you yeah know.
1: it's i to me the reason why i'm i'm i lean towards giving it the benefit of the doubt is that to leave the tour is to also essentially like hey my my techs and crew and whatever also are leaving the tour so there's like a, there's like yeah. a huge bummer there, uh, or there's a lot of responsibility and consequence there and leaving the tour that she could have just not done because clearly arcade fire is still going.
0: Um, uh, yeah, well, I mean, and this she's is stepping the- off
1: of it, you know, th- she, there was like one more show that she played where she donated all the revenue, uh, from it and then stepped off of it, which I, you know, I think that's, that's kind of cool
0: yeah no, that is. and I, I'm not I'm not holding her to the fire at all. I just think it's an interesting thing to talk about in the context of um, it's difficult because whenever there's in, in a person, a personality, a figure that is so much attached to like how people make their livelihoods, it's kind of the they're kind of the ringleader in one way or another and there's somebody who also, you know, abuses their power because they there is a bit a bit of a like a cult of personality element around you know figures in the whoever successful in the indie scene. I mean, we saw it with the Red House Painters guy certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh Mark Kozelek. Um where they kind of, you know, if somebody is a fan of them or, you know, they're they're kind of can get away with a lot more than they would otherwise. Um, and it's just, it's unfortunate. I don't feel that sorry for the members of Arcade Fire, um, because, you know, they'll probably be okay financially. Yeah. But it is difficult in that situation when your your livelihood, your life is so attached to the actions of this other person. And, you know, you may or may not be aware of it or complicit in it. You know, it's it's... But a lot of these things are 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 bands that people got involved in in their twenties, and you know I certainly have been involved with people in scenes before that you know I kind of regret and am glad oh, yeah. to i i i it's not
1: the the fault of other members of the band that this happened although it the article did imply that his wife knew um mm. which you know i, I whatever I'm, I'm it's a complication I'm not willing to get into
0: um yeah i mean there might be some enabling or whatever happening there who knows we don't know you know but yeah for the most part it's just like your life your livelihood is so attached to the actions of this person and that's what makes it kind of so fucked up too from that angle it's like it's 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 obviously like horrible fucked up for the victims because you know, like if, if you're someone who's like you want to be you aspire to be a musician and you somebody who's this big and important uh, takes interest in you and then you find out, you know, they treat you terribly. They're just using you or whatever. It kind of makes you be like, I don't want to be part of the space. Right. Uh, and it makes it hard to do things. So it kind of destroys the potential, you know, it destroys musicians or people that we might have heard of or heard from otherwise. Um, So there's that. um, And there's also, like, it also ruins the the lives of people who depend on you because, you know, everyone has the sort of rightful reaction of, like, well, you know, our investment in this band, this Arcade Fire, like, is kind of predicated on being invested as Wynn Butler as a person or a personality because he's front and center, you know? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to pretend that he's not there. Uh, so if you're a fan and you're turned off by that, which most people, you know, because uh, this is in the indie scene, you know, people generally kind of have the image of being more progressive and uh, caring about those sorts of things. Um, so every time that you, like, see them or hear them, you're going to think that. And it, it makes it hard if they're still actively touring. It makes you be like, um, hmm, I don't want to go to the show anymore. I don't want to, you know, support no. this. And it kind of, you know, it, it makes it, you know, it's easier to grapple with if the artist is dead, like in the case of a, a Michael Jackson or whatever. Um, but if there's someone who's still... I mean, it's still not well, easy. Well, but to deal also with Michael
1: Jackson, the allegations were there while while he was alive.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, and people didn't take them seriously for for years right. and years. But, um, but yeah, it just like it, it's fucked up from so many different angles. Is all I'm saying because it it kind of ruins a lot of the stuff, the the work that other people did that was not bad. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's it's, um, it's
1: shitty for everybody um it's yeah you know it is mo you know it's it's shit shittiest for the victims and i think that's that's the main issue but it is yeah of course the kind of thing that ruins a lot of lives
0: um so it sucks i'm just uh, i'm just waiting for the for the other shoe to drop and there to be another i'm you i'm know. sure yeah
1: i'm sure it's 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 only a matter of time because it's not you know there's there's stories
0: out there <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. Enough said about yeah. that, but um, it just it sucks all around. It sucks. <laughs> that's all I it can sucks. say. Uh, I wish Vice the best. <laughs> um, yeah. And, that's, and that's... Uh, I wish th- I have a feeling even being out in the open with the victims, like um, I'm sure hopefully it leads to you know um, I hope people to be more aware of these dynamics and make sure that they don't happen Mm -hmm. more in the future. Um, but it also sucks to be in the the public eye, you know, to have those stories and everything out there too. So it's a, obviously a a risk that every single person who, uh, you know, talks to a publication or whatever has to deal with. And uh, there isn't really a good way to, to deal with that, unfortunately. Um, so on that note, <laughs> yeah, but we're going to leave that be where it is. I just thought it was worth mentioning because it is relevant and it's something that I have a feeling. I just have a feeling it's got there. We're going to we're going to get another person at some yeah. point. You know, there was the, the fucking guy from Swans. There was, um, you know, there's the brand uh, new guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course, uh, Mark Kozalek, Red House Painters. Um, so yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate and it's something that underlies this dynamic is something that underlies a lot of like indie scenes. This idea of like just power imbalance and cult of personality and meritocracy that I feel like has enabled so much of this. And which is why I just don't think that we're, I think we're going to continue to see stuff come out about people unfortunately yep um but anyway um we need to rank (laughs) girls can tell i completely forgot about that so
1: i would put it just above the shins for me which i think goes back to what you were saying about like these are sort of similar albums and it's just where do you fall on that line
0: it's difficult um i might put it above liz fair although they are about equal for me and again like you know her self-titled is not her best album so no um i would probably rank other liz fair i yeah i would rank other liz fair higher than than this but yeah it's my so it's at the bottom i have 12 rods uh liz fair self-titled in this album and then interpol above that um and uh you know others we we should finally like put our list somewhere so people can i, I see also them.
1: have a hard time keeping it straight without looking at the list uh
0: um but yeah uh by the way please rate and review us on <laughs> itunes or apple Podcasts. Yes, it helps whatever. it helps us out a lot
1: especially in these early days and also tell your friends get other people to listen to us
0: yes please tell your friends um we're not the only people in our
1: 30s having a panic attack (laughs) i'm sure
0: yeah well i i feel like i feel like in so many ways every every new episode we do i'm like wow we're really
2: hitting the right right
0: head on (laughs) absolutely i mean the 20-year cycle stuff will do that but still very and we plan that
1: absolutely
0: yeah, that's that's a engineered part of the part of the whole thing. So uh, we have an email. It's kitchforkpodcast at gmail dot com, and I do have a letter to read. Uh, this was actually sent. Uh, someone messaged me on Patreon this a while ago, but it's immediately relevant to our podcast, and they gave me permission to read it. So, but they told they said not to use their name, so that's fine. Uh, but this is from we'll say anonymous. Um, All right. Hi, Liz. First, I just wanted to say I enjoyed all your work for quite a while now, especially the podcast. I found The Blood Zone really interesting. That was my other Mm -hmm. podcast that is like vaguely on hiatus, might come back at some point, but who knows. Uh, And I've been enjoying Kitchforks so far. Maybe I should have sent this to Max as she's the bigger Interpol fan, (laughs) of the two of you, but I'm a lot more familiar with your work. Um, I listened to the recent episode on Interpol, and I just wanted to let you know some stuff. Maybe you know it already, so I don't mean to be presumptuous. I'm just personally pretty interested in it, and I thought you might want to know. Basically, I just wanted to mention the original drummer of Interpol, Greg Drudy, also played in two other bands. Uh, one of them is called Saita, Saita S-A-E-T-I-A, uh, considered to be one of the uh, or originators of Screamo or Scrams. Um <laughs> This kind of Screamo isn't the Hawthorne Heights or Finch kind of stuff, not to look down on that, but just to let you know that it sounds different to what you might have heard called Screamo before, here's their collected discography in case you're interested. uh, They link a YouTube video here. Um, Maybe listen to the first two songs, um, and uh, the second one is a bit more uh, mellow, and uh, Venus and Bacchus, I think that's their most popular song, Uh, so... Yeah, this is a link to an album. It's just called Saita, a retrospective. It has a lot of views on YouTube, so you can probably find it. It's spelled S-A-E-T-I-A. Yeah, going back to the letter here. Um, uh, Okay. Uh, He also played in Hot Cross, which was a bit less raw and more melodic post-hardcore band. Here's their second album. I think people generally consider the first one... To be better, but I like their second sound much more personally. So this album is called *Risk Revival* by Hot Cross. There's a album cover of a uh, a cartoon-looking guy holding a giant ship. It looks a little like Decemberist Neutral Milk Hotel. E um, the the album cover, <laughs> I mean the album art. Um, Again, you can probably listen to the first two songs and get an idea of the sound. Um, I get the impression that this might not be kind of music you enjoy too much, but I thought it might be interesting. The reason I mentioned this is that you and Max mentioned the rhythm section in general and particularly the drums on PDA. I would guess that the PDA beat on Roland and, and PDA beat and the beat on Roland are a result of Greg, maybe some others too. The PDA beat was already more or less finalized on this demo version, which Greg played on. The ro- The roll and drum beat is a little different, but the skeleton of the idea is there already. I'm not knocking Sam's playing or anything. I just thought it was worth mentioning. It seems like Greg came up in some of those parts. Uh, after searching a Gwen, uh, the... the a band made a song called Hey, did you know the drummer from Saito was in Interpol? Uh thanks for reading. I hope that was interesting. Sorry if I'm discovering other oh, stuff you're aware of. Just to say again, I really appreciate the work. No, you that it, that's okay, that's that's so.
1: super interesting. So I didn't know any of that about uh about Greg uh Drudy.
0: So that's that's good uh trivia. I will link you,
1: Max. Yeah, to, I'm 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 really true. curious about these bands. I mean I'm I'm specifically very into post hardcore, so I'm looking forward to that and yeah you're you're right it, it, it's it's funny uh that pda was in berlin were mostly locked down although i do think sam plays the pda beat with a bit more um pep than it is in the demo that there's mm. there's a sort of leaden and quality to it but i'm curious to hear uh greg in, in another context because it's not like the demo drums are bad like they're they're good um so that that that's interesting yeah it'll be
0: fun yeah, I remember the demo. I remember from what I heard of the demo it sounded pretty similar or very similar from the final released version. There was just a little bit more energy and snap to the to right the final which version. you know
1: they did in a studio and could do multiple takes and stuff like I I'm, I'm sure it's Yeah. Um Yeah, no. Thank thank you so much for the tip. I did not know any of that. I'm always down for more trivia and more weird Interpol stuff. Let's get into it.
0: <laughs> yes if you want to talk more about Interpol yeah, I, stuff please email us because i'm probably not going no, to say but anything. i will and I, I will
1: thank you dearly next episode i'm sure i will talk about both of these bands um
0: yes um so uh, uh yes uh, please email us uh if you want us to read your letter um at kitchforkpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com um, hope, but hope by the way that you enjoyed our new sponsor. I I just started doing that for the last I, I episode. I was thinking that oh, was a
1: great episode to do that because we vocally imitated a lot of synth lines.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The boo
1: yeah. <laughs> it is perfect, the perfect app for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so next week, uh, we are doing. Uh, and you kn- will know us by the trail of the dead uh, source tags and codes with question mark a-, a guest um i have asked a friend uh someone i'm friendly with we'll say um if they want to be on but uh i i'm not sure yet so we'll keep that we'll we'll keep that a surprise yeah. keep the austin um,
1: texas train rolling i'm i'm excited i'm a very big fan of
0: and you will know us by the trail of dead Um, And we will go back to our our Pitchfork. You know, we did the Liz Fair with the zero. Now we're doing this one with the 10. Um, Which they immediately went back on when Worlds Apart came out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As you do. Um, But yeah, uh, that has been Kitchfork. I have been your co-host, Liz Ryerson. And I've been your other co-host, Max Cohen. And... uh, you know, I knew this we weren't uh super glowing on spoon, but you know what? That's just the way we get by <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> don't tell me I've lost you. I've been that. Oh no, I just can't believe it. No don't